And what's great about this is we're kind of playing with human psychology. People hate being wrong about who they thought you were. And so as we're speaking, I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to you for the first few minutes, and I'm speaking with great pronunciation, very naturally, very fluently, very confidently. Whoever I'm speaking to is going to put me in the mental category of native speaker. Later, when you make a mistake because you didn't study all the vocabulary and the grammar, then they're almost surprised and they're going to mentally try to convince themselves that their previous judgment was correct. And they're going to look for reasons to convince themselves that you are as good as, as they thought you were. And that's just magic because you can only go up from there. Welcome back, welcome back everyone to the With The Right People podcast. It's your host Crispin and we've got Ben Latour today as our guest. He is helping busy professionals and entrepreneurs speak clear in English native-like pronunciation and with confidence and also without studying for hours every day. So I'm pretty excited because, um, you know, this is a topic which is not only immensely helpful for a lot of people um, who are not English natives, but it's also like, it's just kind of really interesting. When I when I came across you, Ben, I thought, man, that, that's a really cool like speci specialization. And um, yeah, being being able to speak English in a, in a foreign language, like as a foreigner, is just a super helpful skill, a super cool skill to have as well. If you get a compliment by someone saying, hey, your English sounds very natural. And, you know, me being not a native speaker either, you know, so, I'm, you know, I'm going to learn a bunch as well in this talk. So I'm pretty excited for that as well. And obviously everyone in the audience uh, who can relate to that can can just learn as we go and as we talk about everything. So, Ben, man, glad to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's really great to be here. I appreciate the invitation and I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Yeah, man. Uh, starting off. You teach people how to speak English without an accent, pretty much. Tell us more about that. Like, give us give us an introduction because it's it sounds straightforward, but just give us give us some introduction to that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so many layers to this, but all in all, it comes into mastering the pronunciation and really improving your connection to the actual language, so that when you are speaking, when you are pronouncing things in a certain way, it is natural. You're understood clearly the first time. People take you seriously. And then you get the feedback from the people around you that, like you said, oh, wow, your English is really good. It sounds really natural. And then you feel better. You want to talk more. And then next thing you know, all kinds of doors and opportunities open up for you. Yeah, man. You also talk about that getting rid of an, your accent in English is actually not quite the right way to put it right because um you as a person you're not broken like you it's nothing wrong with you and as a person right C can you go into that a bit more yeah oftentimes people come to me and they'll say hey ben how can i get rid of my accent how can i fix my accent and the first thing that i always tell them is there's actually nothing wrong with you there's nothing broken in you you're a human being and ultimately the reason you have an accent or the reason people perceive you as having an accent is because you're using patterns from your native language, 
from your experience, from the way that you've learned the language and to speak generally. So my job here is not to fix you or heal you. You're not broken. What I do is teach you a skill that you can apply in whatever situations to help you reach your goals better, to be able to communicate and connect with people in a more genuine way. This is a skill of listening, speaking, and ultimately it's matching the way that people are speaking so that you can have that kind of genuine human connections. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't need fixing. That's great. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very valuable point um, to add here because um, I think that's what I had in, had in my mind. So um, it's good kind of realizing that first of all and then realizing you're complete, like you're a great person. This is just like a, this is an add-on to me, like open doors that would have not been opened before. Exactly. It's making it so that your skills are able to shine and so that people focus on what you're saying, your experience, your abilities, rather than focusing on the fact that you're a foreigner, that the fact that you speak strange or that you're hard to understand. It's ultimately about opportunities, communications and making sure you seem as great as you are. <laughs> I can I can imagine when when you speak clearly, like you are more confident in that and then people also um, perceive you as more confident. That's something I realized, you know, um, as I spoke English more and more often, you know, obviously my English is not perfect, but um, I realized this improvement also improved my confidence in it, you know, and then, you know, how it's, it's about how you come across. And I think that's, that's quite a valuable point about that, you know, the confidence, right? Absolutely. Yeah. If, if you were to do the opposite and not, for example, you were to speak with really great grammar and you were to have the right vocabulary, but nobody understood what you're saying, they would always ask you, what? Can you repeat? Say again? And having experienced that myself, it's, it's really soul crushing, having to repeat over and over and over and over again. And by the end of the conversation, you're just frustrated. And neither one of those people, whether you or the person you're speaking to, wants to be there. And, and so it, the comfort is gone. And you, you, you don't want to walk in front of a stage of 20,000 people. You just want to go home and cry in your bed. And, and that, um, although you've put in all the hours learning English, right? That's, that's the sad part. Like when, you, when you're really good at it, but you just, and obviously like you learn it in school, but most schools, like they don't teach you how to speak really. You know, mm -hmm. for me, like when I went to, you know, back in the day when I, when I was in high school and I learned English, you know, I think I was pretty good in English, but at, at the same time, I never spoke English. So when I went overseas mm -hmm. for the first time, you know, I, I saw myself like thinking in my head what to say and like translating it from like German, which is my native language to English. And it was just a lot of hassle. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty glad that, that we got to talk now. So I think that's, that's probably going to be quite valuable for a lot of people and, you know, myself included. So, um, First of all, like, let's start broad. How do you do that? Like, how how do you help people with this? Like, how do we solve how do we solve this kind of problem that we just elaborated? Mm -hmm. Well, the the simple answer is that as a human being, your mouth is able to make any sound in any human language, and your ears are able to hear and differentiate between any sound in the human language. What I help people do is basically just learn how to do what they forgot to do 
when they got old and convinced themselves that it was impossible. This is nothing brand new. It's nothing a big skill. It's simply, like you mentioned, something that you don't learn. And we just retrain you to do what you were born to do. It sounds poetic, but that's what it is. That's exciting. Um, so, so where do you, if that's even like a good way to put it, but where do you start? Say like you help someone with that. Where would you start off? There's probably like some things that are maybe like bigger folks that for maybe it's completely like individual, but maybe just walk us through what, what, what might be the things you, you work on specifically. Mm -hmm. So of course it does depend on each person, but the general idea here is that you want to start by first figuring out, well, okay, let's, let me rewind a little bit. You got to figure out first of all, what your intention is. Okay. Is your intention to sound like a native speaker and make people think that you're from Texas or from mm. Liverpool, or is your goal simply just to be understood clearly the first time? So that goal is separate from, you know, sounding like a native speaker versus sounding clear. Native speaker pronunciation is maybe one level higher, but that's going to depend, that's going to determine how much energy and how much focus you put into it. Because ultimately, this is work that you have to put into, you have to retrain yourself, you have to build some habits. So that is something that I should mention. However, regardless of what you do choose, the first thing you need to do is figure out what makes your way of speaking, your English, sound unnatural, or what makes it sound unclear. What are those things that trigger in the listener that feeling of, I don't know what exactly you're saying, or doubt, or confusion? You got to figure out what are those elements first, and then once you're able to isolate the quote-unquote problem, then you figure out where exactly you want to go so if you want to sound more british or you want to sound more american or you want to sound more like you're from a small town in alabama or you're trying to sound like you speak in cnn those are different targets that you can move towards and the rest is, is simply a matter of building an awareness of the issues as well as an awareness of the target and then working towards a difference through training ears, mouth, physical exercises, etc. Brilliant. I mean, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about talk about some of these these later on. Um, like, how do you, first of all, how, how do you realize that? Say, like, I'm, I'm a person, or even, you can even take me uh, as an example if you want. Um, how we go about figuring out where the problem is. You, co you probably can't do it on your own, really, right? It's very difficult, and that's why most people try for decades and fail. Hmm. If, you, if you've been speaking a certain way for many years, you've actually built in some ingrained habits. And there's actually this process in, in linguistics, we call it fossilization. And you, can, you think of fossils, dead dinosaurs stuck in the rock. Hmm. Those dinosaurs are not going anywhere. <laughs> and neither are your speaking habits. And so you need to have some kind of external cues for your hearing first to be able to hear the difference between you know, a really classic example is the difference between sheep and ship. Hmm. Sheep, ship. So I hear a lot of people, you know, I work with French people, for example, or Spanish speakers. This is very, very, very common where they'll say, ah, yes, uh, 
I saw many sheep in the in the harbor. <laughs> you mean in the water? Yeah, so many sheep in the water. I don't think you mean what you mean. <laughs> and what's the reality is that if I were to bounce that back to them and say the same thing, they're putting the sound of e and i in the same mental category. So they actually don't hear the difference until it's pointed out to them and you do something that's called split training and you you progressively teach your ears and your brain to hear the difference between them and put them in different mental categories. That's very true. That actually brought up two two examples in my mind. First of all, like I was, you know, I was doing a poll on Instagram to find out like what might be questions that people have. I remember one friend of mine. She she texted me and said, "You know, please help the French people. We're we're lost in that case." So like French is quite an obvious example. And then I remember I had good. I have great friends from Greece, and they always, you know, when they when they talked about their home country, they talked about all these beaches. But they were they were referring to beaches. So like like a beach, but they were like literally it was it was hilarious because it's just you know two very different things and then it, it come you know you get two funny conclusions um, exactly yeah exactly exactly so this this is one of the first things that example you know beach and bitch for most of the people i work with this is one of the first things we work on because sheet shit beach bitch you know Right off the bat, you have a bunch of things that can go terribly, terribly wrong when you use the wrong word. And that's changing one sound in the entire sentence. And suddenly you, you're pissing people off because you just talked about how wonderful their bitches are. <laughs> that's so true. And I realized, you know, folks, I give, a, I give another example from myself, actually. So, you know, when I was in the States... Um, I talked to my friend, I, I was referring to, you know, we were talking about jobs and I was referring to, you know, the, the salary I get. And then and he was like, salary? Like, oh, you mean salary? Like, you know, I was kind of like referring to the vegetable in his, you know, in his ears. And I was like, no, you know, I, I'm obviously talking about, you know, wage, <laughs> you know, but yeah. And, you know, obviously maybe I still did like the wrong way around because I haven't really thought about it afterwards, but this is just an example that comes to mind. So as you said, like it, it's just in you and the way you learn and you, you're going to continue like that. If you, if you don't uh, become aware of it and like plan to do something about it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you have to keep in mind that when you're, whenever, whenever you're speaking a language, people's expectations are wired to hear certain sounds coming in a certain way it's you can kind of think of it as you know if i'm if i'm throwing for example a baseball okay i'm throwing a baseball i'm playing baseball and then everybody is expecting to catch a baseball and if suddenly i throw a football the person doesn't know what to do that they, they, they might they might catch it if they're extremely vigilant but if they're always expecting to catch a baseball, it's just going to hit them in the face and they're just going to be confused. Or they're going to try and catch it and not be able to throw it. They have to take off their glove and throw it again. It just throws off the whole situation because their ears are in English mode, or it doesn't matter what language it is really, but their ears are in English mode, expecting to hear English sounds in an English pattern. And suddenly they get something that throws them off, or breaks them out of the matrix 
and then there's confusion there's asking to repeat and then in that process they're wondering if you're actually playing the same game oh do you actually speak english as good as i thought you did do you are you actually playing baseball hmm. and then they feel like uh, maybe i need to get somebody who who plays football so that you know i can communicate with you hmm. for the sake of an hour yeah yeah t- t- totally um so as i'm now thinking about this probably one of the biggest points you would focus on to improve english for example and to achieve that goal that we talked about in the first place is probably pronunciation 100 percent, absolutely mm. yeah my approach is kind of the opposite approach as most mm. schools and you know institutions will do because if I spend years and years and thousands of hours learning all the vocabulary, all the grammar, all the expressions, but people still don't understand me clearly, it's been a huge waste of time. Because like we talked to earlier, you're not going to feel confident because people are always going to look at you strange or they're going to say, oh, you're so cute. Your accent is so cute. Hey, I'm trying to give a presentation on astrophysics and you say, oh, you're so cute. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm changing science. You know, and so the the personal experience that I had and, you know, from from the clients that we're working with is largely what shaped this change in approach. If you learn to pronounce things correctly the first way and you learn some good expressions right from the beginning and you say them confidently, then people respond to you as though your level was very, very high, almost native level. And. What's great about this is we're kind of playing with human psychology. People hate being wrong about who they thought you were. They hate being wrong about their judgment that they immediately made about you. And so as we're speaking, I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to you for the first few minutes, and I'm speaking with great pronunciation, very naturally, very fluently, very confidently. Whoever I'm speaking to is going to put me in the mental category of, oh, Crispin speaks great English. Or they might even put you in the category of native speaker. Later, when you make a mistake because you didn't study all the vocabulary and the grammar, (laughs) then they're almost surprised and they're going to mentally try to convince themselves that their previous judgment was correct. And they're going to look for reasons to convince themselves that you are as good as, as they thought you were. And that's just magic because you can only go up from there. Wow. That, that's actually, um, you know, where I was leading to was this um, idea of priorities. And like, obviously, you probably heard of it. People listening, a lot of them as well. You know, the Pareto, the 80-20 principle, you know, you put in, you know, you know, with like little effort, sometimes you can have great results. And I mean, that's the definition of that. And now as you elaborated it's more or less also mastering, you know, the first meeting or mastering the first impression as I, as I hear from what you're saying. Um, so that's probably also a great way to start. Do you usually go through that with people as well? Like, like how do you introduce yourself and so on? Because that's probably a big part of it, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, I'm really glad you brought up this Pareto 80, 20, because hmm. the, to answer your question more directly, the, 
one of the things that we do start working with people right away is exactly things, how to, how to introduce yourself, how to present yourself. And one of those things that's, I guess you could say controversial is how to present yourself and pronounce your name in a way that comes off as natural, as in the frame of reference that the other person is expecting. Hmm. Talk more about that. So, for example, your name is probably pronounced Crispin. Uh, in, in German, you mean? Yeah. Uh, in German, like if someone very German would come up to me, they would probably say Crispin. Crispin, right. But if you say Crispin, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, All I yeah. do is change the pronunciation of those, of those sounds to make it fit into the English repertoire. And then it, it flies past the radar. Yeah. Right. So my name is Benjamin Latour. It's a French name. But if I say Ben to an English person, like, oh, that's fine. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, you know, it's like you're crossing the, the border security and then they just don't notice any red flags. They're like, okay, yeah, whatever you go through next level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's a, you know, a simple thing that even if your name is, you know, I meet people with, you know, very long Indian names, for example, you know, and I remember meeting a guy, his name was, uh, Naga Venu Gopal, but everyone calls him Venu, and mm, that's fine. You say it with a good pronunciation in an English way. You say, "Oh, hi, I'm Venu." Interesting name, but that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Next, <laughs> pass. Yeah. And then some some names have short forms as well, right? Like for example, I remember one of my friends. He was called, um, you know, uh, talking of Greek or Greece, um, Alexandros, and then you know. If he was just introducing himself as Alex, so like that, you know, he he made that distinction either, you know, I don't know if consciously or like subconsciously, but uh, that worked out pretty well as well, you know. Exactly, exactly. And for example, my same name, if I if I introduce myself as Ben when I'm speaking Spanish, that sounds weird because there are very few people named Ben. You know, Benjamin. Mm. I can introduce myself as Benjamin, which is the Spanish pronunciation of my name, and then. Oh, that's fine. Oh, oh, Benjamin, great. Or Benja, or something like this. And then, oh, that's great. Because Ben in Spanish it basically means come here. Ah. And ah, so, okay, so then you get, it, you get into the bug of, uh, wait, are you telling me to come here? Is this your name? And then you get the confusion. Where are you from? Uh-huh. And then the dynamics break and suddenly I'm talking about you know, maple syrup and my hometown yeah. and whatever. <laughs> um, as, as we're talking of kind of, we're, we're now kind of talking about like hacks or tricks because that's, you know, that's something very interesting as well. Like there's, there's a lot of ways that you can do small things that go a long way. Do you have another example that comes to your mind that you sometimes give people as like, small starting points that I can instantly like implement to, to sound more natural English. Yeah. A very simple one is to avoid using sounds that don't exist in English. So for example, if you're speaking French, there would be sound like, these are sounds that do not exist in English. And so categorically, whenever you're using them while speaking English, it, something goes off in the listener's mind. What was that? What did I just hear? Did I just, like, it's like, 
it's almost like as an alien walked into the room. Like, what, what, what's this? Yeah. And then they stop focusing on what you're saying and how and they focus on how you're saying it. You know, example for, for German would be the same thing. Uh, you know, these are sounds that don't exist. Uh, you, right? These are sounds that don't exist when you're speaking English, but they exist when speaking German. When I say, uh, this is right. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Ah, oh, yeah. oh, yes. This is right. Oh, you're German. How do you know this? <laughs> oh, man. That's perfect. <laughs> and the same thing would go if an English speaker, for example, is trying to learn German and they're saying, this is a classic example, you know, ich bin ein Berliner. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So well, uh, oh, people say, people say ich instead of ich. Exactly, right? Ich liebe dich. Okay, okay. Ah, ich, ich habe gerne einen Kartoffel, bitte. You know, if I just switch, if I were to do nothing else and I replace only the English R with the R, ich habe gerne eine Kartoffel, Kartoffel. It sounds a little bit yeah. unnatural, but way, more, way better. Yeah. And also, like, um, at least it's away from the original one. Like, it gets a bit more, like, mysteric. Like, because now, as you were saying that it's in German, I would not exactly know where you're from. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it couldn't... Because that's also probably one thing. You know, it's one thing to be natural and appear that you are native. But the other thing is maybe trying to not appear like a country that might, you know, not be favors in that certain point in time or whatnot you know sometimes there's just um things that you know I, i've heard people say I, I literally met a person like two days ago who was like you know he told me that he was glad that his accent was not as russian and uh, he was literally telling me this you know I, I was not judging i wouldn't i would not have judged him in any way but he he told me this and i was like oh well I haven't thought about this, but this probably, you know, this is probably something that people think about as well. Or like, say you're, uh, I don't know, like, like every country, Germany, like the States, you know, whenever, wherever you go, you probably have stereotypes. And if you want to, if you're in a situation where you might want to avoid these, or like, say, I'm trying to, uh, you know, border, um, like I'm trying to cross the border to the United States, for example. And my uh, friend of mine told me this, um, Like, he went with two friends or so, and they were all from Germany, but um, one of them had a very harsh-sounding, um, I think it was, like, like some Middle Eastern country, right? Um, very harsh-sounding name, and then also, like, the way he talked. I think it was something like that. And I think, like, these small changes would allow for this um, easier navigation in these, in these, like, kind of difficult situations. Absolutely, exactly, right? There's the, the notion of, of security almost. There's a you know, feeling of being able to communicate with people just human to human, even if you aren't sounding like a native speaker necessarily. Oh, okay, this person's first language isn't English, but I don't know exactly where they're from. And that, that kind of, for me personally, and for a lot of our clients, it's, it's kind of a fun element of being able to differentiate yourself. I think of a lot of our clients who move to the U.S., for example. You know, a lot of, for example, a lot of our clients are French and they move to the U.S. 
And for the first few weeks, it's great. You know, you're speaking to someone, you say, oh, hello, good morning. And they're like, oh my God, you're French. I love Paris. <laughs> I love wine. But, you know, after you've been living in, in LA for 12 years, you're a little bit tired of that. And you want to talk about, you know, crypto or <laughs> stocks or whatever else you want to talk about. You're tired of having the same conversation over and over again about, oh my God, I took a French class in high school and I, I went to the Eiffel Tower one time. I love Paris. You're like, I'm actually from Marseille, you know, <laughs> I don't even like Paris, you know, things like this. And, and it, it allows you to, I want to say be yourself and not be dependent or constantly given that label of oh you're german oh you're japanese oh you're russian whatever right beyond just the fact of yeah right now there's a lot of russians and also ukrainians who are also speaking russian i was speaking to a ukrainian woman a couple a couple weeks ago and she she's from ukraine and she's tired that whenever she meets people people are like oh you're russian she's like no, this is the country invading us. Why do you think I'm Russian? And so people are like automatically doing prejudice and, and excluding her from situations because she sounds Russian. But she's like, no, I, I came here to avoid that. And, and so she ends up being put in that, into that box and has no control over it because, again, people, they don't like being wrong and they don't necessarily, they don't necessarily ask to say they don't necessarily ask in that situation, oh, okay, oh, you're Russian, or they don't even talk to them. They just overhear and mm. say, oh, there's a Russian person over there. Let's not mm. go in there. You know what I mean? That's very true. Yeah, I mean, although it's kind of, I mean, bad <laughs> that it is that way, you mm -hmm. know, it ideally would not have any stereotypes, but as long as that's the reality, that's probably a great way to cope with that, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, I, w I would love to um, to ask you a following question as well as we are talking about with like great focus to start with would be pronunciation. At the same time, is there something like do you in your coaching, for example, do you focus on grammar at all? Is there any like how would you tie that back? Is there situations where it makes a lot of sense or is there any like basics also 80 20 again is there something you would really want to people to focus on when they start out next to pronunciation mm -hmm. so generally speaking when we work with people we work with people who are, who are starting at an intermediate level so intermediate to advanced is typically the people we work with mm -hmm. the criteria basically being if you're able to have a conversation in english then it's okay the reason i say this is because yes we can You know, in the in an ideal world, it would be able to teach you first pronunciation and vocabulary and then expressions. That would be the ideal situation. But most of our clients already speak English and, and they've already reached the point where they got their first job or they've been working for a while and they speak English sometimes or they read and write emails pretty well or they can read a book in English, no problem. But then they pick up the phone and then suddenly their perceived level is very low the level that people perceive them at is very low even though if this was an email there would be no problem hmm. you know you understand so to answer your question yes we do work on grammar we do work on vocabulary that being said we do this a little bit more on an ad hoc basis 
So we work with people in small groups or one-on-one where if I notice that through talking to you know, Crispin, for example, and I notice that Crispin is constantly making the same mistake over and over, then I can see that, oh, okay, there's actually a gap in terms of his ability there. And we'll, we'll consciously work to fill that specific gap to make sure that you've got it, that you build up the habit that you're saying that and avoiding that mistake. But generally speaking, we focus on first making what you do already know sound and feel really great. Hmm. And then we'll teach you some expressions, some very high, na- high level natural expressions that you would only know if you were a very high level speaker. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I love that analogy. I, I thought about an analogy that just came to my mind. It's like, you know, I realized when I was studying that, and I'm like studying for university, I happened to found an approach that worked really well for me to get like very high grades, like very good grades um, without putting in too much effort. And the strategy was basically, I don't know where I came across this, kind of like a mixture of the internet and I don't know, experimenting, but I realized it's way smarter. And this sounds so obvious, but I feel like so like, like a very small amount of people like do this you only learn what you don't already know like the one the things you know you you kind of ignore them at first and then like just focus on the things that are really the problems it's like this 80 20 and then suddenly you need way less time and have just great results and i feel like this this is pretty similar to that exactly 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 right you already have some basics you everybody who we only work with adults anyway so Hmm. everybody that I've ever met has taken at least one English class at some point <laughs> in their life. You know, and they might not necessarily feel super comfortable or not be able to, you know, describe Shakespeare or classical architecture in English. But typically, that the, the t- typically speaking, the things that they usually talk about that they use, they'll have a certain amount of a, a, a vocabulary and ability, and their goals are usually in line with that. If you're an architect and you've been working in architecture in Spain for a number of years, you've probably seen some of these words already and you've already had a first few conversations in English where you realize that, oh, okay, my level isn't actually as good because I'm trying to discuss these things that I normally feel comfortable in and I notice the lack. And that's usually the point at which people start working with us because they realize oh, I want to get a job in an international architecture firm, or I want to move to the US, or I want my company to expand abroad. And now I need to be able to say those things. So we focus specifically on, in this case, architecture vocabulary, the things you need to discuss in an interview to get that job, or how to pitch your project in English using that specific vocabulary and making it sound natural so that the person you're speaking to believes in you understands you and ultimately trusts you i think that makes a lot of sense um like as i said working on like the like really going not you know opening the (laughs) uh, dictionary and just learning everything but like learning the things that's actually that will actually bring the biggest returns and i thought to make this more practical um Mm -hmm. something that i thought of um, I, I thought let's do maybe an example of 
let's say me or anyone listening, trying to not only, you know, improve their English and like uh, be understood. We, we covered that, like we covered the basics of that. And But what if we say, hey, people understand me, but I just want to have that specific accent. Let's say I want to move to the US and I want to sound more like an American. Um, how would we go about um, creating a more American accent? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, in your case, this is an easy example to work with. I'm able to understand well, everything that you're saying, but I can see how a native speaker who isn't used to hearing Germans might hear, yeah. oh, my salary is so and so much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? So, so you need to first identify what are the things that you're doing that make you sound German, that make you sound unnatural, and potentially even hard to understand. So right off the bat, the, the things that I would notice for you are the way that you pronounce the R's at the end of vowels. So okay. if I were to say, for example, the word first, you would probably pronounce it as first. Ah, all right. If, so uh, now it's hard to not step in either of the two categories when I pronounce them. So first would be... That's much better, exactly. The, the, per, the better way, first, yeah. First, exactly, exactly. Now, we could take it even another step further and train the way that you're actually saying the R to make it sound even harder. So, so going from harder to harder to harder. Ah, and that's like when I think of America, that would be like kind of the, the further south you go, like this kind of, yeah, this harder accent. Right. So, for example, somebody from maybe Georgia might talk a little bit more like this. If you listen to country music, they'll make those R's really hard. And then somebody from the north, maybe from Maine, might not make those quite as hard, but they'll still pronounce them harder and make those really clear R's. And somebody from England might not pronounce those R's at all. They'll actually just skip them and say harder. And then, oh. and then that's typically where, for example, in your case, you're coming from Germany. If I were to guess, hmm. you probably had a teacher who studied in England or oh. spent some time in England and then came back into teaching. For sure. Most, most German schools uh, teach British English. So, yeah. And then also right. I've spent time overseas in New Zealand, Australia. So that was more, it's kind of mixed, but more British English. Yeah. Yeah. But if I were to guess, I would say that most of the media you consume is American media. Yeah. That's so TV, radio, podcast. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. And then also, yeah, I've, I've spent some time in the States as well. Yeah. Right. So the way that you're speaking now, it's clear, it sounds pretty good, but I can definitely hear, well, through my practice, I guess, but yeah. I can definitely hear that you're applying German speaking patterns with British influence where you're using American words and ways of formulating things. And then every now and then you'll say something that sounds like you picked it up in some other place, like maybe from an Australian <laughs> Australia, person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, it's a big mix. Yeah, that's true. Um, so like we would go about um, kind of like a similar structure. We would look at how we speak and then identify, okay, how might this be different from the place we are looking to be like? So like say American, um, mm -hmm. identify those and then see how we can work on these. And then also 
now talking about maybe not grammar but uh expressions that's probably also a big thing right um you said you know i use some you know american vocabulary that's probably also something that's probably because you know i've lived there picked that up but if people want to um consciously incorporate that into their speech um would there be any examples that would you know make us understand what how that would look like that you could give us sure so a classic example is the word truck versus lorry hmm. you might have heard those two so in, in in england they'll say you know a, a vehicle where you can carry things inside would be called a lorry and hmm. if you go to the united states and you're like i'll oh, get in the lorry they'll have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> they have no idea they'll look at you like you're crazy huh and so you'd have to use that relevant word you know truck oh oh okay and this is a this is an interesting thing and I'd, i'd be curious to hear what the listeners have to say about this later but a lot of older british people are quite frustrated and angry with the younger generations because you know people who are 15 to 35 have grown up in the uk have grown up watching a lot of american tv and movies And so they'll start using some of these words and expressions, although they'll say them with a British accent and they'll use them with their friends. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll end up speaking British accent, British accented American English. And a lot of older British people hate this because <laughs> you're not even British anymore. What's going on? Yeah. And, and uh, that is, that's, that's something that I find quite funny. Yeah. Any um, out-of-the-box um, tips that come to your mind, like in terms of, um, I, I don't know, like there, there might be something that you uh, recommend people to do that's maybe just like kind of, as we talked about, like kind of like a hack, just a small change in their everyday life. They can do something, I don't know, does anything come to your mind? I have something in mind right now that I thought of that I'll share in a second, but maybe you've got something in mind as well. Sure. Well, we talked earlier about the first two minutes of a conversation and a really striking one that most people don't notice is the way you say good morning or good afternoon. Hmm. Those, those two expressions, you call them expressions if you like, if I were to say good morning, a lot of times I'll hear variations such as uh, good morning or uh, good morning or uh, good morning or something like this mm. and within those first two words we're earlier we're talking about first two minutes but in those first two <laughs> words if i send him and say good morning he's like oh you're german right away you know good afternoon like oh my god right away and so those two things good morning and good afternoon if you can master each one of those individual sounds so we have the g the u, uh, the d, the m, or, n, e, n. For example, just in good morning, right? You got a series of sounds that if you can correctly isolate and make each one of those sounds well and string them together in a way that's natural with the right intonation, you can say only that. And you'd be surprised at how far you can get in a conversation without saying anything except good morning. You walk into wow. a store, good morning. And then you buy whatever stuff you want. Yeah. And then you go to the cash register. And then it's going to be a different person. Oh, good morning. 
Oh, that'll be a uh, 1742. Okay, thank you. Bye. And then that's done. Yeah. Right. And in that whole conversation, obviously, if you if your goal there is to communicate with people and you want to have a conversation about your hometown and you want people to notice where you're from, then just don't do that at all and say. Hello, good morning. And they're like, oh, you're French. I love Paris, right? And then, then you're going to start talking about that, right? But if your goal is to have a quick incognito conversation, just master how to say good morning and thank you. And then just skip the rest of the conversation. True. You are now, as far as anybody else is concerned, you are now a native speaker, a local. And then you say, as you said, you know, bye, thank you. All these, all these kind of like, actually like, elementary all the things that you say very very f frequently and yeah. but yeah. say them really well really naturally and really confidently and then suddenly boom you are now in the category of native speakers and nobody has suspected that you're actually a spy <laughs> <laughs> that's actually interesting because i can tell from my experience at least like i mean it's not scientific or anything but you know what i noticed I remember sometimes I, you know, I usually do this when I'm in a different country that I kind of learn a few words just to get around. Mm -hmm. And then I'm not sure. So like probably maybe it was just luck that I pronounced it that, that way. But I, I went to Poland and then, you know, I learned Dzień Dobry. And then, you know, it's just like, hello. <laughs> and I, when I said that to people, like, uh, for example, I was at the airport uh, where obviously like the people there, they speak English as well, you know, for anyone who doesn't speak Polish. But so I, I but I still said it. And then they were talking to me in, in Polish. Right. I was like, oh, I'm really I'm really sorry. I'm actually not Polish. I had to kind of like carry like go back and like saying, oh, sorry about that. I'm not I'm not actually Polish. Um, so it, it works. Right. If you if you master just one word it can make the difference. And if I were to actually speak a bit of Polish, then that would have been probably a result I would have wanted, right? So mm -hmm. like in the English example, like if you, you say hello in a very English way or like say American way, if you're in America, then that will open doors. Exactly, exactly. And, and there's this concept that I don't hear about, I don't hear uh, talked about much, but there's this, I guess there's those two elements to it. So, for example, in, in your in uh, when you're talking about you know saying walking into Poland, you're saying Dzień dobry, and that person, according to their culture in Poland, they'll probably be grateful that oh okay well you're you're clearly a foreigner who's coming from somebody else somewhere mm. else, and you're speaking our language. I want to give you the ability to do that because mm. nobody else outside of our country speaks this language True. and so i want i want to share that with you and give you the interest and give you the passion of speaking that language so that's that's one element to it which i appreciate just generally the same when i'm going to another yeah. country and you know especially i'm going to asia for example right i, I don't look like the locals <laughs> but then they see me speaking and then their eyes light up oh my goodness you care about our language you're trying you're clearly not from here because visually you, you you just definitely are not hmm. but they appreciate it and they want to share that so that's one element but another thing is that this kind of there's the dynamic of something being easy and natural in terms of a two-person conversation or more people by default people two people speaking will choose to speak the language that has become 
natural and easiest for them. So, for example, if you and I, we were speaking together in, in English, you know, when we first started talking, we were speaking in English, and now it's normal for us to speak in English. But if we had first, the two of us had first met in a German-speaking context where we're both speaking German, I'm confident enough in my German-speaking abilities that I would be able to have that conversation and feel confident and seem natural enough that we would just create this relationship in German. Mm. And then later on, to speak English together would feel almost weird. It would, We would have to have a reason to speak English. Mm. True. You see what I mean? Yeah, I... Uh, uh something I can relate that to when I was traveling overseas with friends from Germany um, or I, I saw that with any type of um, group that where they were all from one country you know you switch back to your your own language as soon as like someone left who were like the last person speaking English like instantly instantly back to the your own language and not because you can't speak English but because it feels almost weird mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah so when I when I lived in South Korea in uh, was this 2017 to 2020, I moved to South Korea and I first moved to a very small town where nobody really spoke English. And one of my intentions there was to be able to learn the language so well that I would be able to create a new relationship hmm. with a new person in Korean long enough for that language to be the norm in that relationship and for it to then be unnatural and uncomfortable to have a conversation in English again. So the goal there was not perfection, but the goal there was to be able to sustain a conversation naturally and confidently and comfortably enough so that the other person, even if they themselves spoke English, and it's very likely that they had better grammar and vocabulary than I did in English than I had in Korean, Hmm. they would feel so comfortable speaking Korean with me that they just put me in the category of korean speaking person person with whom i speak korean and then from that point on even if i made mistakes and there were some things that i didn't know how to say we would just always speak in korean Mm -hmm. they would introduce me to their friends in korean and I, i just became part of that korean world because i had moved to the i moved to eventually to a new city to seoul spoke korean with everybody all the time and the rest was simple. Uh, it was no, even though I looked like a foreigner, people treated me like a Korean speaker. No, that's that's a pretty good summary of how how far you can get by, yeah, improving improving a language and then, you know, improving kind of your image or like your your personal brand, so to say, um, and tweaking that to yeah whatever you would like it to. As you said in the beginning, I really liked that when you pointed that out. It gives you the ability and the freedom to be who you authentically want to be without being constrained to where you might come from, where, which, you know, is something completely outside of your control. Like, you know, you can't, you can't decide where you're born. So, um, man, that, that's been incredibly helpful and really insightful. Um, as, as I think this, just because it wraps it up so perfectly, um, I feel like this would be a great kind of, um, yeah, stop summary. But I had one one more thing that I wanted to wanted to ask you, and one thing that also came to my mind, um, like thinking of 
some practical things that people also, I mean, we talked about a bunch of them, but just as a final thought, people can take into their everyday life. One thing that came to my mind was um, just exposing yourself to media that's in that uh, language or in that accent you want to learn. Is that something helpful? Would you recommend something like that? Or is there anything in regards to that, is there any other resources that you would recommend or is there any apps? I know some of my friends use Duolingo, something like that. Is there anything else you would give uh, give people on their way? We'll talk about um, obviously your coaching as well. It's probably like if people are really serious about this, that's, I mean, that's probably the best step. But just for getting the first introduction to that and the first level of, oh, let me check out if that's something I want to focus on what would be cool a few first steps that could take sure listening to media in the language that you're trying to learn is very very i'm going to say crucial actually hmm. because if you're not used to hearing the patterns the sounds the expressions just the almost the musicality of the way people are speaking it's going to be very difficult for you to recreate that you have to be you have to be exposed to it to be able to use it yourself that being said where most people tend to go wrong is that they don't actually know what they sound like and they're not giving themselves a really critical um, honest view as to what they're sounding like so a very simple tool for anybody to use is for example youglish um, you can maybe write this in the show notes afterwards youglish oh, yeah, it's a combination of youtube and english youglish and it's a really great tool that essentially makes the process of hearing a certain word, a certain clip, a certain expression over and over and over again. It makes that process really easy. I can go in and search, I like cheese, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you write. Right? I like cheese. And then you write that in and then you're going to find clips from, you know, if you're trying to learn American English, US English, and then you write, I like cheese, and it's going to show you thousands and thousands of clips of native speakers saying, I like cheese, I like cheese, I like cheese, I like cheese. And you can just over and over and over and over and over again without having to ask your British friend or your <laughs> friend from, from California to say, I like cheese over and over and over again. You can actually just get a real clip of people saying that in context, and that makes the process a bit easier. So that's one great tool. But... Again, even among people who do use this tool, you want to make sure that you record yourself speaking. If you're watching Friends, for example, and you hear Chandler say, get out of my house, record it, listen to it over and over again, and then record yourself saying it as closely as you can to that. And listen, listen to your own recording. Most people hate the sound of their own voice. <laughs> Because yeah. for many reasons, it sounds different in your own head as when you hear it back through another source. But you get used to the sound of your own voice of hearing it and compare it honestly with the clip of, in that case, Chandler on the TV saying it that way. Compare it honestly as though it was some different person. Does it sound the same? Are the sounds the same? Is there a specific word that is challenging, that's odd, that sounds unnatural? And compare it honestly, like you were looking at two pieces of paper trying to tell which one is different. That's this very, very simple thing. I, I don't want to say it's as easy to do because if your ears have 
if your ears have forgotten to forgotten how to tell the difference between certain sounds, it's going to be a challenging task until you train yourself to do it. And honestly, unless you have external feedback, it's going to be difficult to do. But yeah, it's a start, right? Listen to yourself, record yourself speaking just generally, and listen back to that recording. Does it sound like the way you want it to? What would you need to change just from your own first impressions? What would you need to change to make it sound more natural? And that will get you very far. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's, that's really good start. Um, and honestly, um, I think doing that will probably create great momentum. And, um, I mean, I'm, I'm also myself pretty curious about just trying that and like kind of analyzing that and just being aware of that. I think that's probably the first step and that's, that's going to help a lot. Um, and obviously implementing everything that we've talked about now. Um, I think, it's it's been great great tools that that have been shared right here with that you like in a lot of cases use in your own coaching and and that you use to successfully help people with that so thank you very much for sharing all of these and yeah finally talking about uh talking about your coaching as well uh maybe just let us know in the the last minute what um or who who exactly that might be a fit for for people who who think oh man this is something that's I'm really serious about. I, I just want to improve as fast as I can. Um, it just give us a, a bit of an introduction to the coaching finally. Sure. So generally speaking, we work with inter- intermediate to advanced English speakers. So people who feel comfortable reading and writing in English. But when you notice that you're speaking on the phone or you're scared of giving a presentation or you might have to pitch to an investor whether you're the head of a company, you're an entrepreneur, you're looking to get a promotion, or maybe your company is about to send you abroad to go on a business trip. Those are generally the people that we work with because they're people who have a specific goal in mind that they realize to what extent it's the way that you're pronouncing things, the way that you're feeling, the way that you're sounding is going to have a, an impact on your bottom line. If, you're gonna, if it's going to make you more money, more confident, more fun, and ultimately more experiences, then then that's the way to do it. If if you've been trying for years to improve your pronunciation and you want to sound more natural, you want English to be easy, then then I suggest you give us a call. Wow. Nice. Thank you very much for sharing that as well. And where where would people find you, like you personally, and then um, if they want to find out about the coaching as well, I'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, Latour Language everywhere, L-A-T-O-U-R, language. You can find me on Instagram, you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on TikTok, you can find us on Facebook, and directly at latourlanguage.com, everywhere you go, that's where you'll find it. Perfect. Ben, Ben, it's been great. Thank you very much. It certainly has. Thank you. See you. Ciao.